you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Can you remember the last time you were bursting at the seams to share big news? Do you remember when your son or your daughter were born? You had to tell your friends, you had to tell your parents. Even the pet dog couldn't escape the news. Or sharing of some long-awaited provision becoming a reality. The house getting completed. Being able to pay rent finally, consistently. Or it could be something small but significant. Getting those precious books come through the mail. God bless Amazon. You had to tell someone, didn't you? How about recently? How about the negative COVID tests? Coming out of isolation getting the all clear from the doctors after a long treatment for cancer. My name is Dawn, and I I wonder if you can relate to these times where you've been eager to share joyful or important news. If most of us can relate to sharing a significant life moment, Why do Christians stand out as they love and share the greatest news of all? It makes you think, doesn't it? In a world that tells you to serve and worship self and to keep spirituality quiet, why do Christians go and make disciples? The Great Commission that we see in Matthew 28 is about Jesus, who is worthy of all worship. Therefore, we go and we make disciples and grow them into maturity. To see why we go and grow disciples, let's begin with some background information for Matthew 28, 19. I found two important patterns earlier on in this chapter. Two patterns. One, the disciples see the risen Jesus and they worship. And number two, they are commanded to go tell others, even the world. So starting with the first pattern, the disciples see the risen Jesus and they worship. By investigating the tomb, Mary and Mary Magdalene find no corpse. Matthew's gospel describes the angel telling them to go share the news. This is followed by them meeting Jesus and worshipping him. Let me summarize to you Matthew 28, 7 to 10. Verse 7, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed, ran 
to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them, and they worshipped. The second occasion occurs in verse 16 to 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's not surprising that a quick Google search of the word worship describes the expression of reverence and adoration towards a deity, an object, or an idea. It's something that I can relate to very early on in my life. At four years old, I became obsessed with trains. I adored their design. I was in awe in the way that they were able to move to destination and plan stops. It's a bit of a physics thing as well. I was just amazed. They helped people go. They grew memories of travel for people, going to new places. I caught the travel, uh, the, the train bug bad. In fact, it was the first thing I brought to show and tell at primary school. But some of us here might not be ready to worship Jesus yet. Just as Matthew 28, 17 says, you might have some doubts about Jesus. You may be historically skeptical that he existed. Can I encourage you to investigate Jesus first and then test his claims? There are four accounts, four separate accounts of, in the New Testament recording Jesus' entire life. Even non-Christians such as Josephus and to the well-known H.G. Wells, yes, that's right, the writer of War of the Worlds, was 100% certain that Jesus existed. But they themselves were not Christ followers. Can I encourage you to read about him? If that's you, make it your first mission this year to read Jesus in the Bible, looking at Matthew or Mark or the Gospel of John. Whether you believe Jesus or not, he's worthy of all worship. In Matthew 28, 17, it's not the first time that Matthew uses the word worship to describe Jesus as worthy of all. The word for worship in the Greek, proskuneo, is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when Jesus is rebuking Satan. Verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Why is worship so important to remember as we go and grow disciples for the Great Commission? This reminded me of a chat that I had last month. I was terrified of going on a hike, so I started some practice going up the Yu Yangs. And I met 
a man, a young man in his 20s. And I asked him, we, we, we got talking, we, we involved in his interests and what he sort of did with his living. And suddenly, the, cop, the, the topic of conversation changed. He shared his love of the new age, energy healings, chakras, as they call it, because he saw that the world needed mending from fear and brokenness. After listening to him, I just knew as a Christian, I, I couldn't agree with all of his views. I prayed, God, how do I gently answer this young man? A thought came to mind and I said to him, I agree that this world is broken and it needs restoring. But this world needs more than healing. It needs saving. It needs ultimate hope right now. And for me, I worship and I wait for Jesus, the one who lived, died and rose again. And that he's going to judge all things. Isn't it interesting that we often worship what we hope in? I thought I'd lose this man talking about Jesus. But I realized that he actually knew famous quotes from the Gospel of John. I had to encourage him to meet the Jesus that I worship. And at the end of the conversation, to my surprise, he affirmed that he would take up the challenge to actually read the Gospel of John in its entirety. Let's think on worship for a moment. You've seen it before, haven't you? We talk about something we love. We talk with passion and care. Some of you are thinking about those amongst us who can't wait to talk about the footy, the cricket, the fashion, the next cooking project. How much more when we are sharing about the Jesus that we worship? Maybe you've never really felt the desire to talk about Jesus or share your testimony of how you got saved. Can I encourage you? It matters to Jesus. This fuels our faith so we can go and grow disciples for the kingdom. So this leads me to my second point. So we've looked at worship, informing the disciples as Jesus as worthy of worship. It's only natural and a command that sharing is on our lips. Number two, they are commanded to go and tell others, even the world. Look in Matthew 28, verse 8. Mary and the disciples not only worship, they are commanded to go and tell. Let me read to you verse 6 and 7. He is not here, for he is risen. Quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. There you will see him 
See, I have told you. Isn't it interesting between Matthew 28 and 28, 7 to 17, there are three commandments to go and tell. Two of them are to set up the final command to make disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations. This command is given by Jesus to the two Marys, to the eleven, and many who are witnessed, who witnessed Jesus rise from the dead. Therefore, if Matthew 28, 20 tells us that Jesus will be with his disciples to the end of the age, it means that he will empower all Christians by the Spirit, including you, to testify that Jesus is alive. But how do we do this? How do we be a part of this mission? Now listen to the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In light of Jesus being worthy of all worship, he states that all authority in heaven and earth are his. So we go. But what does it look like? I want to leave you with two applications. Number one, go. And number two, grow. Disciples. Number one, go. We go and tell our friends, families, and even strangers our testimony and the gospel if we worship and experience the goodness of God, how can we hold back speaking about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives? Just think for a moment. If you have access to God every day, 24-7, many of us in this room could testify of the sweetness and power that comes from prayers answered, from time alone in the word or in prayer, interceding and fasting. How about recently? Recall the small and the big ways that God has helped you during COVID in your weakness. Think about this. Many of the people that we see in grocery stores, our work colleagues, the people that we sit beside in our universities, they don't experience God's word and closeness like you do. Or know the deep peace, the guilt-freeing freedom that comes from Christ. Can you imagine that? Living a life like that. Have we forgotten how to have compassion and love to go and share the hope that we have in Jesus? It's only a matter of life and death, as Kent Hughes says. Could you say with Paul in Romans 9, 2, 
that you have great sorrow, unceasing anguish for non-believers. Judgment and hell are inescapable. Christ is the only way to be saved from the justice and deserved wrath of God that you and I and humanity deserves. Hence, we draw courage from mercy and pray for opportunities to share the hope we have in Christ. Let's be more available in love in time, of our time, drawing encouragement from 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ as Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Personally, this is the way that I apply Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. I plan every two weeks to allow myself half an hour to an hour being intentionally available to non-Christians. This gives me the opportunity, the prayerful intentionality to go and provide more conversational spaces to give a gentle answer for my hope in Jesus. This took me some time to learn and practice, but love is what motivates me. And should motivate all Christians to speak to non-believers. And hear me clearly. Hear me clearly. I don't want to make anyone feel guilty for not sharing the gospel. Especially if you've never been shown or taught how to. But we need to learn how to practice sharing and finding opportunities to give an answer for the hope we have. So practically, what does that look like? Pastor and theologian Joel Beakey gives us a couple of helpful tips for personal evangelism. He encourages us to start small. Two tips. One, Personally sharing with those who are less intimidating and souls that are open to talking about deep and spiritual matters. Number two, asking simple questions, saying simple statements in conversation about your faith. I'd ask questions like, where do you believe you'll be after you die? Or do you believe that you are good enough to go to heaven? I'd follow that with, I know I'm not good enough for heaven, not without Jesus. Or you might also say to a friend, we've been good mates now for for a while, and you know I'm a Christian. Can I gently ask, what do you think of spiritual matters? Do you believe that there is a God? This is a way that I can spiritually care for them, as a, for them as a non-believer, as a Christian, but also provide natural conversational opportunities to share what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. 
This is the way we care for family, for friends and strangers. It even provides an opportunity to actually pray for them right there on the spot. That's how powerful our hope is in Jesus. We can meet their specific needs right there and there. So we've looked at the first application of go. Let's look at the intentionality of growing disciples. Number two, grow disciples. If we are Christians that worship and go tell about Jesus, we embody that we don't live for earthly wealth, but we grow for the kingdom. My final question Are you growing as a disciple of Jesus? Because in the Greek, the word for disciples, mathetes, describes a learner, pupil, or student. Are you growing other disciples deeper in the likeness of Jesus? If Matthew 28, 19 commands us to go and grow disciples, how are we going with that? Some of us here have heard this great commission passage many times, but if we're going to be completely honest, practiced with little depth. Or on the other hand, we've become either proud or lazy in going and making disciples. I've seen two extremes happen in this area. Number one, some of us may be great sharers of the gospel, our testimony, but neglect intentional time to grow a disciple. Personally, I've found myself do exactly that, thinking that they can take care of themselves. They'll be able to read the Bible and learn and pray and grow in holiness and love without guidance. Or we can think about the second extreme. Others might find it easier to to grow and disciple new Christians, growing Christians. But then we tend to neglect speaking up, taking the opportunity to share how Jesus saved us. Or have opportunities to share the gospel, defend the faith in their family home or in the workplace. Can you relate to that? I can. If Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, are you active in sharing about the goodness of God and growing Christians that are lifetime learners of Jesus? Are you discipling your children? relatives in the gospel, to make them learners of God in the life of Jesus. Maybe you've realized that you've never really discipled a Christian on a personal one-on-one level, spending coffee or a meal with them. Growing a new Christian in understanding the word, teaching them how to pray and find joy in God, how to kill sin. If God is challenging you to do this, maybe pray 
be available. And when you find a new Christian, committing to meeting up with them once a month. Can I encourage you to be more prayerful and available to disciple? Or there's another kind of discipling that takes place. It's called mentoring. This kind of discipleship is a slower kind of burn where you might guide or meet up, mentor a maturing Christian, say over 12 months, and encourage them in specific areas of their lives, guiding them through the eyes of God's word. You might mentor and guide them out of the word, guiding their relationships, their marriage, more in line with scripture, or that of talking about how to manage work and ministry commitments in light of the gospel. This reminds me of 2 Timothy 1.5, where Paul rejoices as a mentor and in those who shaped Timothy's faith. Verse 5 says, I, rem- I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Believing in the resurrection and becoming a disciple is not a single moment event. It's a lifelong commitment. I mean, think about this for a moment. What will spiritually sustain, what hope will sustain those in our church, those in our community and city, when a person gets COVID, when they can no longer pay rent, make repayments, when cancer returns, or mental health declines? It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be the good news that is heard by the impact of the Great Commission. Serious Christians like you and I. That's going to bring them news that is going to carry them through the difficult times. And furthermore, if God suddenly decides to take their soul home, they are going to be continual learners and knowers of God in eternal life. It reminds me of my landlords in Ballarat, where I used to live. This godly Christian couple in their 70s would invite me to suffer and hot chocolate after uni classes. It's definitely one way to get your you know, university students in. You always feed them. It was a trap. We would open up God's word and we would read. I would just be soaking it in. They'd be encouraging my faith. They'd be praying for the city of Ballarat. It made such an impact on me. It grew a hunger for the word and equipped me to pray as I studied and worked. 
Can you remember those like Lois and Eunice in your life? As I invite the band to come up, can you remember those who have encouraged you, prayed for you in times of need, journeyed you as you grew in Christ? Can you take up the call to go and grow disciples? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you're worthy of worship. There's only one that is deserving of worship, and that's you. Would you help us to go and grow disciples? Father, help us by your Spirit to make new disciples, lifelong students of Jesus. You lived, you died, and you rose again. We have relationship with you now and forever. This is good news to anyone who believes. Help us. Help us to go and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.